at the beginning of every year, the president addresses Congress and gives what's known as the State of the Union. So uh, for some time now, I just kind of adopted that to uh, use this occasion to, to give my State of the Church address. And um, um, we've been very, very fortunate and we have been very favored and very blessed. And um, I think of that psalm. He said, I want to tell of the Lord who only doeth wonderful things. And we have been so very blessed in this church this past year. My heart is very heavy. Um, um, you just can't. There, there are many reasons to trust the Bible. Um, um, I, if you ever uh, read uh, autobiographies, you know the ones that the person writes about themselves. They, uh, it's always interesting to read autobiographies. I remember reading Richard Nixon's comments and his reminiscing over his time in office. <laughs> he just bypassed that Watergate stuff and it just glossed that thing up. Uh, I, it's always impressed me that the Bible never hides the flaws of its heroes. Never does that. It'll tell you about Moses who got so mad one day that he, uh, he hit a rock for the second time when God told him to do it once. Bible calls him the meekest man in all the earth. The word meek means quiet strength. And Moses was an amazing example of meekness and had 120 years of being crafted and created and then being used by God to lead those people but when he hit that rock for the second time, it disqualified him from being the one to lead those people into Canaan, promised land. Joshua did that, not Moses. David, a man who is called a man after God's own heart. And uh, he... Uh, he had a problem with a woman. And uh, always amazed me, the strongest man in the Bible, Samson, got in trouble with a woman. There's an interesting thing about Samson. If you read the Bible closely, there's no mention of his muscles. There's no mention that Samson, just to look at him, you know, I always thought he was like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. You know, one of them guys that has no neck, you know, Looks like they're walking around with sunburn armpits all the time, you know. Just, it's very possible that, that Samson wasn't a muscular person. But when the presence of God would come on him, he could do exploits. But he is known as the strongest man in the Bible. He got in trouble with a woman. The smartest man in the Bible, Solomon, got in trouble with lots of women. <clears throat> David, considered one of the most godly men in the Bible, got in trouble with a woman. 
So if the smartest person and the strongest and the most spiritual got in trouble with a woman, then I want to be careful. And uh, I don't want to, I don't want to go there. You look at Peter, who uh, cut off Malchus's ear. Uh, people, I've heard people say he was a Roman soldier. He wasn't a Roman soldier. He was a soldier that protected the high priest. And if you go through the book of Leviticus, there's a whole list of things there that if you have any of these things wrong with you, you can't serve in the house of God, in the temple. And uh, you, you couldn't be missing body parts. And when Peter, see, Peter wasn't aiming for Malchus's ear. I think he was about four inches to the left. I think he was aiming for right about there, but he wasn't a trained soldier. He cut that man's ear off. The Bible said Jesus reached down, picked it up, and stuck it back on that guy's head. And I always thought about that. that there they are at the end of the day after Jesus is crucified and all the horror and hell of that day and they're sitting in the locker room taking off their uniforms and getting on their street clothes and and these guys are making fun and saying, yeah, that guy, they, they said he was Messiah. They, they said he could do miracles. I always thought of Malchus just tugging on that ear in that locker room, you know, saying, I believe, I believe. And uh, there's another reason to believe the Bible, um, and that is prophecy. There's no, there's no book in the world like the Bible. When Jesus died, it would have been it would have been incredible if three prophecies would have been fulfilled on that day. It would have been the, the odds are astronomical if 30 prophecies would have been filled on that day. But when the day that Jesus was crucified over 300 prophecies were fulfilled on that day. That the exactness of the word of God is, is something that you can trust. One third of the Bible is prophecy. And there, there, Jesus told, gave a lesson one time on what he called uh, the ten virgins. And he said there were five that were wise and there were five that were foolish. And he said the foolish virgins... They used up all their oil. And uh, the wise ones, they didn't. But what you'll find in the story of the what's known as the ten virgins, all of them were asleep when the bridegroom came. It wasn't the bridegroom, but somebody, and it doesn't say who, somebody started screaming, the bridegroom's coming. Wake up, go out to meet him. Um, we, we are living in a very pregnant, prophetical time. Um, um, what you have to guard against is that you can get lawed into sleep. Rumpelstiltskin slept through a revolution. When he woke up, everything was different. According to the Bible, it's not just the foolish virgins that will be asleep. 
It's the wise ones also. We have to guard against this right now because the events of this past week and um, the action that's being taken against Iran right now is, is, is very, very dangerous. And uh, you need to pray. I don't care what your political leanings are. You need to pray for this president. And you need to pray for our military personnel. And um, because one of these days, ladies and gentlemen, this thing's going to tip. And uh, you can see those forces aligning right now. And I, I forget how many countries... Obviously, the United States has nuclear weapons. France has nuclear weapons. England has nuclear weapons. Pakistan has nuclear weapons. India has nuclear weapons. Israel has nuclear weapons. And now Iran has nuclear weapons, as well as China and North Korea. When you get into prophecy, and it talks about the kind of wars that are going to be fought. Those things seemed impossible years ago, but not now. Now there's something called MAD, which means mutually assured destruction. And uh, something's got to happen to wake up the church. Something has to happen to wake up the church. And um, um, this is what it says in Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. This is old hat to some of you, to others. You probably will hear this for the first time. To me, there are three words in our vocabulary that would not be there if there wasn't God. Omnipotent, which means all power. Omniscient, which means all knowledge. Omnipresent, which means he spans all three space dimensions and time at the same time. Past, present, future. The God that we serve the Bible said, is a very present help in the time of trouble. But it also says he's the God that was, the God that is, the God that is to come. The God that we serve is past, present, and future. Because he created time. Time doesn't affect him. I've always given you the analogy of an Oreo which seems to bring great controversy in this church because the pastor is on the side of the right. I, I'm right about this. Oreos are two chocolate wafers with white creamy filling in between. That's a real Oreo. All this vanilla, that's not a real Oreo. That's an imposter. Okay, that's an imposter. Uh, trust me, I know lots about Oreos. And, uh, um, but that is my mental model of time and eternity. You have eternity, and then you have time, and then you have eternity again. This thing that we call time 
is the white creamy filling that is sandwiched between the eternities. And uh, this God that we serve is timeless. He's timeless. He is presently in the present, presently in the past, presently in the future. He spans all three of those dimensions at the same time. This is important for you to realize that because the only being that those three words could possibly describe is the Lord. The Bible doesn't say he has wisdom. It says he is wisdom. It doesn't say he has life. It says he is life. Now, in your English Bible, in John 1 and 1, it'll say God is a spirit. But in the original language, that that, that indefinite article is not there. It just says God is spirit. You see, if God was a spirit, then that would mean he's just one of many. But he's not a spirit. He's it. He is spirit. And if you know your Bible, all that other stuff came from him. I used to play tricks on crowds when I traveled more. And I would say, I'm going to say a word. And you yell back to me the opposite of that word. And I would say night. And they would say day. And I would say hot. And they would say cold. And I would say black. And they would say white. And I would say Jesus. And they would all say Satan. And I just laugh. I said, here's your problem. You think Jesus is the good God and Satan is the bad God. And you look at them as equals. But you have to understand that Lucifer, on his best day, was a former employee. That's what he was. The Bible is very clear that one day you're going to see him. You're going to see Lucifer, Satan, whatever you want to call him, you're going to see him. And it says, you're going to look at him and say, this is the one that made nations quake. This, this, this is the one that, that, I, do you ever get a mental model of someone? And, and then when you finally see him, it's, it's such a disappointment. You know? Did you ever hear that, that Garth Brooks song, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers? You know, your old girlfriend that you had in high school, and you see her 50 years later, and you go, wow, thank God I didn't get that one, you know. You know. <laughs> I, I'm telling you this because in verse 2, it says, and the Spirit of God moved. My question has always been, where is God going to go that he doesn't already exist? It's impossible. There's a scripture in the book of Psalms that says, take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea or get in a boat and get as far away from land as you can possibly get. But it said he's there. It said... Get as high up as you can. He's there. Take, make your bed in hell. He's there. So what does it mean when it said God moved? To me, the presence of God has two 
flavors, I guess we'll call it. One is the omnipresence of God, where he literally is everywhere. But the other one is the manifest presence of God, to where he's not just there. You can feel him. You can see what he does. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we, if, if you've ever been around spirit-filled churches for any length of time, you're going to hear a word called Shekinah. The word Shekinah is not in the Bible. It's never in the Bible. It's a, it's a word that was given by Jewish rabbis. The best word is glory. Glory. And if you know about the Old Testament, they had this magic box called the Ark of the Covenant. And it had a, it was a box and it had a lid on it called the mercy seat and welded into the lid were these two angels, cherubims, they're called. And once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest would take the blood of that sacrifice and he would go into that completely dark room, the holy of holies. It's also known as the oracle. It's just, he splashes blood seven times on the mercy seat. And then it says, it, that it talks about the glory of God. If you, if you do your homework again and again in the Old Testament, he is known as the God that dwelt between the cherubims. Because on the seventh time when that priest would splash that blood, it literally would incandesce. And, and the glory of God would manifest itself, and you could actually see it. That's not omnipresence. That's manifest presence. That's why in Matthew 17, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up into a mountain, and he said, watch this. And it's known as the transfiguration. He just started glowing. In the Greek language, it says, like the sun at high noon on a cloudless day. That's, that's how brilliant that was. And this is what John said about that experience years later. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. Peter, years later before he died, said this, we were I witnesses of his majesty. You've ever been in court, there's witnesses and there's eyewitnesses. An eyewitness is someone that actually saw it happen. They're the most valuable thing that you can ever get in court. You've got circumstantial stuff, then you have fortune. If you've got eyewitnesses, I saw that man do that. I saw that person do that. That's powerful stuff. Peter said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's more than a God that was there. That's a God that you could see. That's a God that you could feel. And uh, it's very interesting to me, right after verse 2, it says, and the Spirit of God moved eight different times. In chapter 1 of Genesis, it simply says, and God said. So to me, when the Spirit of God moves, then and only then will God speak. 
we have to have a move of God. We have to have a move of God. And that doesn't mean he's going from Oakland County to Macomb County. It means that people need to come into this house and feel something. That's because the word glory in the Greek language is kabod, which means the heaviness. You could feel that thing on you. I don't want this to be just some little bless me club. I don't want this just to be some religious group here. I, I, this, this has got to be a place that believes in, 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 in not just rehab, but reborn. And at the risk of sounding so redundant, too many things go on in church that can be explained. We want things to happen here that nobody can explain. You have to understand that in the Old Testament, you know, the word Israel means a lot of different things. In the beginning, it was a man by the name of Jacob, and he wrestled in prayer, and God changed his name to Israel. And for a while, when you say Israel, it's referring to just the man. When you read Genesis 37, it'll say, these are the sons of Jacob. But when it comes to Joseph, who was one of Jacob's sons, it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the others. For a while, Israel was a man. These sons of Jacob grew into extended families that are known as tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. It inhabited this piece of real estate. It's not much bigger than Rhode Island. But even to that, I promise you today, if you go home and read your paper, that piece of real estate is in the newspaper again today. Because the Iranians have said they have 35 targets, but if you read it, it's not just targets in America. They're targeting Israel. That Why does that piece of land just keep popping up on the radar again and again and again? We're into something much more where this is, this, there's, there's so much scripture about this thing. And, 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 and what you have to understand is that, that that's why you've got all these prophets in the Old Testament. And if you get into the book of Kings and Chronicles, you will find that the 12 tribes split. And there were two tribes that kept the name Judah. And there were 10 that called themselves Israel. And so now it's not a federation of 12 tribes, but it's 10 tribes in Israel, two tribes in Judah. And these prophets read the book of Kings and it'll say, you read a chapter and it said, this was the king of Israel. Go to the next chapter and say, this was the king of Judah. And it bounces back and forth. And you have these prophets that would come along warning these people, do not walk away from the God of your fathers. And if you do, you're going to be in deep trouble. And what you will find is that this, these people went into captivity to something known as Babylon. If you've ever heard of Nebuchadnezzar, 
These are, these are people that you probably would have never known of if it wasn't how the role that they played in the word. Because I believe history is his story. And, and when you read uh, how that these people were taken into Babylon, and uh, this is what I, is, this is Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. That's nine and two. So here's Daniel, who is a prophet that was in captivity in Babylon. And he said, I was reading the book of Jeremiah. We still have the book of Jeremiah. I'll give you three verses. Here's Jeremiah 25 and 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. 25 and 12 says, And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished. I'll punish Babylon. Here's Jeremiah 29 and 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. So here's Daniel in Babylonian captivity, reading the prophecy of Jeremiah, who very clearly stated many years before, I'm going to put you in captivity for 70 years. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this, but here's one reason. The Bible is very clear in the book of Leviticus that every seventh year, you were not allowed to plant crops in your garden. No corn, no rye, no barley, no wheat, no oats, none of that. No cereals, no grains. And God promised, I will bless the sixth year to where you'll not only have enough for the sixth year, but I'll give you plenty for the seventh year, and I'll even give you seed to be able to plant in the eighth year or the next cycle of seven. But what you go through that whole Bible and you will not find one time that these people ever honored what was known as the Sabbath year. They just kept on planting them fields. If you do your homework, you're going to find out that they were in the land of Israel for 490 years. And after 490 years, God said, I'm going to give the land the rest that I promised it. And if you divide 490 by seven, you're going to come up with 70. 70 years. There's a lot to preach about that. One of them is, if you've ever, I've never been there. I've always wanted to go, but it never has come to pass. But uh, uh, it's desolate land. A lot. It's very arid, very rocky it's not what you would call desirable real estate. But God kept an eye on that land to make sure that dirt got its rest. And if God is that interested in dirt, he's much more interested in you. And the Bible said there remains a rest for the people of God. There is a rest in him that you need so desperately to exploit right now.
If you've ever, ever seen yokes, yokes are these beams with these two U-shaped and oxen, animals would stick their head in it and they would, they, 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 but, but listen, listen to what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, take my yoke up on you for my my burden, it's, it's, it's easy. It's not heavy. My way, my way. So you got to understand, when you get in a yoke with him, he's doing all the heavy lifting. You and I are just coming along for the trip. There's someone on the other side of this yoke that's doing the work. But if you don't serve him, it's a, the Bible said the way of the transgressor is hard. Ladies and gentlemen, it shouldn't be hard to go to church. It shouldn't be hard to serve the Lord. It ought to be hard to be lost. It ought to be hard to go to hell. I, I, I resent people that say, it's just such a sacrifice to go to church. Really? Watch the Lord. I've seen God deliver people from amazing stuff. Uh, I have a hard time with people that glorify their past. And fortunately, I haven't heard anything, anyone do that for a long time. But let's say you got a problem with alcohol and, 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 and you get into the yoke of the Lord and he delivers you from alcohol. Boy, you gave up a lot. It's called cirrhosis of the liver. I had a wonderful professor in school years ago. Even though I was in high school, I had this wonderful professor, and, and we got college credits while we were in high school for this guy's class. And I'll never forget him bringing this, this terrible orange thing into class when he just threw it at me, and I caught it, and, and he said, uh, see if you could break it in half. And I just took it and it just wham, broke it just like a, a crusty old piece of bread. He said, do you know what that is, Harold? I said, no, sir. He said, that's, that's a liver from a, from an alcoholic that I got from an autopsy. He said, that's what happens when you just give your life to alcohol. It just, it destroys your liver. I remember him bringing in lungs. Healthy lungs are beautiful and pink, but, 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 but the lungs of a, of a chain smoker. Have you ever heard of tar? It's, it's, that's real. It's just black goo that settles in the bottom of the lungs, pustules, all kinds of ooze and nasty. This are the lungs of a healthy, this is the lungs of a smoker. You'd say, I don't even know what a pack of cigarettes costs now, but I know this, if you add it up, it's a car after a couple years. Lifetime, it's a house, you know. You just, you, 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 you don't get cocaine for free. People gripe about offerings and tithing. You, you, I, Valerie is sitting here somewhere, uh, probably here. I don't have my glasses on. Here, here's, here's, here's precious Valerie. Valerie and Jeff were our first converts when we came over 30 years ago. And they've stayed true all these years. And Valerie was a, uh, kept very precise records. And, and I, I still have it in my files back there. She said, here, here are our debts before the last year before we started serving the Lord. And there was so much there for alcohol. 
and so much there for cocaine and so much there for bad tax debt and so much there for for all did all these things that she had itemized there and she said now here is our expenses and what we paid out the first year that we served the Lord and she added up her tithing and her offerings and she said I'll never forget it she said you were right pastor it was cheaper to go to heaven cheaper to go to heaven. The way of a transgressor is hard. And this man is sitting in captivity and he starts doing the math. And it's like we were 10 years here. We were 20 years over there. And all of a sudden he realizes they're on the brink of the 70th year. And he said, when I, Daniel, understood by the book of Jeremiah, the number of years that was determined for captivity. and In other words, Daniel is reading this prophecy and he knows we're getting out of here. We're getting out of here. But now listen to what he said after he realized we're right on the verge of having a great deliverance. In verse 3, he said, I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer supplication, which means strong crying and tears with fasting, sackcloth, ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, Oh Lord, great and dreadful God. On and on he goes. So, so, so th- th- this is what amazes me when I read these verses. Here's a man that's reading prophecy, doing the math, and he understands exactly what God is about to do. But instead of him just tucking that little bit of knowledge away and sitting with some, 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 like, 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 like the cat that ate the canary. Ha ha. I know something that you don't know. Instead of him sitting there, he, 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 he began to fast and he began to pray. He began to cry out. Why in the world would you fast and pray and, and, and cry out to the Lord if you already knew what he was going to do? And the answer is obvious. Daniel was not content just knowing what God was about to do. He wanted to be personally involved. You don't have to be a genius to figure out We are in the most unique time of prophecy there has ever been. I can stand up here and go on and on and on and on about prophetical things that are being fulfilled now and things that will come in the next few years. It is not good enough just to know what God intends to do in this earth. I want to be involved. I want this church to be involved. Ever since I've been a preacher, and I found out from my elders it went on long before I ever started preaching, there's always been two schools of thought. There's always a bunch of sad sacks that says when the Lord comes back, will he find faith on the earth? And if he didn't, if he waited, it said that the patience of the saints would be worn out and there'd nobody left. And people say we're going to get fewer and purer and we're going to be marooned on our own little self-righteous island and it's just going to be a great falling away. Well, the falling is a word, it doesn't mean backsliding. It means catching. 
away. That's what it means. So don't use that scripture to validate there's going to be a great battle. Because for every verse that I've heard these guys quote about the lack of faith and the loss of faith and on and on and the love of many will wax cold, I can give you verses like this, that the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than that of the former. That God intends to do something in these days that eclipses anything you can read in that Bible. Jesus himself said, I do great things, but I'm going away. And greater things than these shall you do because I'm going away. I believe that. I'm always going to be a half full kind of guy. There's an old saying that says, maybe the optimist and the pessimist will arrive at the same destination in the end, but only the optimist is going to enjoy the trip. I am sick and tired of Pentecostals that act like seven mother-in-laws moved in with them last week. I, it drives me crazy when I see people boo-hoo and sob. I remind you again, the Bible said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But that's not how the verse begins. It said, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. The day of the Lone Ranger is over. I have a pastor. I have to be submitted to elders. You have to have a submitted lifestyle. You will never have dominion over anything if you are not willing to voluntarily submit yourself to authority. That's the Bible way. That's why it says his ways aren't your ways. His thoughts aren't your thoughts. But Philippians said, take on you the mind of Christ and we can start seeing it from his way. Jesus said, if you want to be the great Greatest, serve, serve, amen. Because it's the pur- the purpose of Jesus is to promote you. My job is to keep myself humble. That's my job. That's your job. Keep it because the Bible said, if you exalt yourself, you will be abased. If you will humble yourself, you will be exalted. It said promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. And it comes from the Lord. And what you have to realize is our job is to make sure right now we stay modest and we stay humble. His job is to promote us when the time is right. If you ever get those two duties confused and you think it's your job to promote yourself, then what Jesus says is, if you're going to do my job, I'm going to do your job. If you want to promote yourself, fine. I'm going to humble you. And I promise you, when Jesus humbles you, he's really good at it. The Bible said, fall on the rock and you'll be broken. But if the rock falls on you, you'll be crushed. It said, it's a horrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. This is very clear to me in these scriptures. There's a revival available. Everybody, it's not going to be across the board. Everybody ain't going to have it. It's going to be for the people that are praying, people that are fasting. Jesus said, this kind goeth not out 
He never said this thing goeth not in. He said this kind goeth not out, which tells me something got in there that should have never gotten there. And we got to get it out. And you're not going to get it out with church services. You're not going to get it out with listening to nice music. You're not even going to get it out by putting that white envelope in that plate. There's only one way it's going to happen. And that's by fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. When we do that... That, them booger bears that have got their, 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 their roots deep in our soul. That thing will shrivel up and go away. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? But he that hath clean hands and a pure heart and hasn't lifted himself up vainly. Vainly. Because it was Daniel's prayer that brought revelation. Not seminars, not conferences. This is available to anybody that wants to get involved. Anybody can pray and fast and get in that word. In the book of Acts 2, Peter, they said he quoted Joel. I'll read it to you. It's in Acts 2 and 16. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass, watch this very closely. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Back then, sons were much more desirable than daughters. But the prophecy was, I'm going to give it to your sons and your daughters. It's not just your young that are going to experience something, it's your old as well. It's not just the free people, it's the slaves and the servants. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cross all those boundaries. We've crossed a lot of boundaries over the years in this church. There are over 40 nationalities in this church now. In the beginning, we had a safe little white church. It was terrible. It drove me out of my mind. People left this church. When I told them, they said, will you do interracial weddings? And I said, if the parents agree, yes, I will. We lost two families. I don't want to say lost. I, I know where they are. I got sick and tired of those jokes. I got sick and tired. See, I, I knew a precious man named T.W. Barnes. He, 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 he wasn't a great preacher. To me, he was like a farmer that rode on a tractor and prayed all the time. But when, remember that thing when E.F. E. Hutton speaks, people listen? My dear elder brother Tenny would not make a move without consulting Brother Barnes. He was a godly man. And he told a group of young ministers I was with one time, he, was, he saw things. And he said, there are, there are demons. And he said, the best way I can describe them to you, he said, they look like hobos that sleep under bridges. He called them gutter demons. But he said, there are other things that I have seen. They're powerful. Perversion is a powerful spirit. Racism is a powerful spirit. There is a, not a national, but an international war in the spirit going on right now about racism. First fight in the New Testament church was over racism in Acts 15. 
And the Lord gave me a dream years ago. Go back in my office. I met this lady named Joanne Bailey, who's a famous artist in the South. I preached a message in Pensacola, Florida. And she painted this amazing picture and sent me a copy of it. It's in my office. I had a dream. I saw Jesus fall. I saw the soldiers grab a man at random from the crowd and command him to pick up the cross. He was black. I woke up in the middle of the night. It was just one of them God moments. And I got in my Bible and I read about a guy named Simon of Cyrene, which is North Africa, which tells me that if Jesus' body was as brutalized as as it so obviously was, don't tell me that blood from his back wasn't on that cross. So the very first person to actually come in contact with the blood was black, not white, not Caucasian. We have to get rid of our racist attitudes. We cannot afford the luxury of hiding behind that ignorance. seven no mores in the book of Revelation. Sick of them make perfect sense. No more tears, no more sickness, no more night. But there's one that didn't make sense to me for a long time. John said there will be no more sea. And it didn't make sense to me until I realized where he was when he wrote that book. He was on Patmos, the Alcatraz of his day. And between him And the closest brothers in Christ he had in Ephesus was the Mediterranean Sea. And John said, one day, nothing's going to divide us. One day, nothing's going to come between us. There's not going to be a ghetto in the New Jerusalem. There'll be somebody from every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. Oh, Hallelujah. And we've been very blessed and been able to birth other churches in this area, but we need a Spanish work. We need a Spanish work. To my knowledge, there is not an Arabic apostolic church anywhere in the United States. This is the perfect location for an Arabic apostolic church. It's not enough just to have a used-to-be Muslim boy named Mohammed running the sound right now. It's not enough just to have his brother, Assam. It's not enough just to have Safi and his family involved in this church. We've been very blessed and I'm grateful for that, but we need a man. I'm asking you to pray that God would give us a godly Arabic-speaking man that would enable us to birth an Arabic apostolic church in this area. I'm asking you to pray for that. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, because I believe this God that we serve wants to cross all boundaries, whether it's the male or the female, 
whether it's the young or the old, whether, whether it's, it's the slave or the free, and trust me, they both still exist in this world. But when I read Joel chapter 2, Peter did not exactly quote Joel 2, because in Joel 2 and verse 28, it says, and it shall come to pass afterward. That's not what Peter said. Peter said, it shall come to pass in the last days. But when you go back to the original prophecy, it says, it shall come to pass afterward. And then the, it's the same. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, sons and daughters, old men, young men, on and on and on. It's the same. But the one part of it that's not the same is Peter said in the last days, but Joel said, it shall come to pass afterward. So some time ago, I asked a simple question, after what? And the answer is in the verse that precedes 28. In Joel 2, 27, he said, you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel. I'm the Lord your God, and my people shall never be ashamed, and it shall come to pass afterward. I'm going to tell you when the greatest demonstration of the Spirit of the Lord will exist, when we get over our hang-ups and our fears. And if I'm preaching to anybody that's ashamed to live for Jesus Christ, let me tell you what the Bible says. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Because I am someone that believes that everything about Israel was different. Their, 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 their gardens were different. If you ran out of corn, you couldn't start planting beans. You had to go to the next row and start planting a different kind of seed. If you were making a garment and you were using wool and you ran out of wool, you couldn't just start putting in flax. You had to lay it aside till you got. I asked a rabbi years ago, why does it say not to plant two seeds in one row or two fibers in one garment? And he said, that's the easiest question in the world to answer. And I said, well, what is the answer? He said, God said. And he said, don't you understand, Harold? There are things in the Torah that he owes us no explanation. He just says, I want you to do this. And you say, yes, sir. Because he knows more about living than anybody else does because he is life. He doesn't have knowledge. He is knowledge. When God tells us to avoid something, we better get rid of it. Everything about Israel, their gardens were... Their garments were different. They had blue fringes around the bottom of their garments, which was it said it was holiness unto the Lord. Their approach to God was different. Everybody else had lots of gods. They're called polytheistic, but Israel was monotheistic. They believed in one God. Read ancient literature, and there are countries who felt sorry for the Jews because they considered them God poor because the Greeks had all kinds of gods. And the Romans had all kinds of gods. But Israel said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. One. These are people that lived on the other side of the cross. These people didn't have no Holy Ghost. These people did not have the revelation of Jesus' name. 
These people didn't have a Bible as you and I have. But yet everything about them was different. The Bible said, to whom much is given, much is required. The Bible said, they without us are not made perfect. So therefore, with us and the way that we now live, their faith was not in vain and they are perfected in the church. What does that mean? It means if they look different and they talk different and their concept of God was different and they didn't have what you and I have, there's more expected out of you and me to look different, act different, talk different. And if you think I'm done with this fasting and prayer, you're out of your mind. Cause I'm not, that's just the beginning. Cause I can't even go any further unless you start fasting and praying and getting that word. Cause you fast and pray and getting that word and all of a sudden you're going to realize I need to start making some changes about the way I look and about the way I talk and about the way I think. We are witnesses. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are a representative from another world to a foreign land. Jesus name. That's why the Bible said, you are a peculiar people. The word peculiar doesn't mean odd or strange. It means precious possession owned by one. It's him saying, see them down there? Them's mine. I want to know if this world can pick us out. I want to know if there's a distinction between us or if we just blend in and are, and are happy just to be camouflaged in that crew. You are coming into a season now, ladies and gentlemen, where you're going to have to declare yourself. You're going to have to make up your mind. Are there things you're willing to give everything up for? That's where we are because there's too many slumbering virgins right now. You got oil, you got Holy Ghost, but you're snoring. My job is to do my best to wake you up and realize, ladies and gentlemen, I'd love to tell you the stock market's going to stay above 20,000, but it can't. I would love to tell you that we're never going to be involved in some of these horrendous wars. I would love to tell you that, but I can't. I am telling you, we are living in a time where this, some of this ease, woe unto you who are at ease in Zion. So it's clear. I, I read the book of Revelation and it talks about Ephesus. Listen to what John said to Ephesus. He said, I know thy works. I know your labor. I know your patience and how you can't not bear them which are evil. You have tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. He said, you have carried my name. You've not fainted. But this is what it says in verse 4. I have someone against thee because thou hast left thy first love. I'm telling you, these people here in Ephesus, they could preach it hard. I've taught you for years that the book of direction in the Old Testament was Joshua and the book of direction in the New Testament was Ephesians. There is no church in the New Testament church like the church in Ephesus. But years later, John said, boy, you're really good at figuring out who them liars are. And you're really good about talking about the name. And you're really good about preaching it strong. But he said somewhere along the way, 
you lost your love for a lost world. And he said, if you don't fix this, he said, I'm going to take your candlestick out of that city. What I get out of that verse is, I believe the Lord wants to reach this filthy little city called Detroit. But the Lord would rather this city be in darkness than to have an apostolic church in this city that won't shine. He'd rather be lost than to have a church with a form of godliness, but they deny the power from such turn away. So in March, we're going to take communion at the end of this service. But before we do that, I want you to get ready. Because in March, we're going to do our missions offering as we do every year. Last year, we were blessed to have close to $200,000 that was pledged. And most of that, over 80% of that came in. And I thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. We were able to burr the church in Royal Oak, cost over $200,000 to get that thing up and off the ground. But it's up now, and we're not putting a dime into it today. They're standing on their own financially. I would give God the glory for that. But you made that possible. We began, there's a magnificent man. I, I'm convinced we can do 200000 again but where's the money going to go? We have a wonderful man that preached for us named Jonathan Nazarian. He wants, he's trying to dig a church out in Nashville, Tennessee. And so I felt very strongly on my heart that we need to try and help. We need to try and help Jonathan. So we're going to take a portion of this offering and we're going to send it to him and his family to help them get up and going in the, book of, in the city of Nashville. Let me tell you about David McGovern, who three years ago, we made a commitment to help David McGovern build a church in Glendale, California. Six weeks ago, David, three months ago, David had called me and had a burden to start a church on the edge of UCLA, right down in the middle of Los Angeles. But six weeks ago, a man called him and said, Reverend, we would like you to come and meet us. And they took David and his wife on the edge of the UCLL campus. And they said, we want to show you a church. And he walked through all the buildings and the annex and all the property. And you've got to understand, we're talking California here. The, the, the real estate prices are completely off the charts in California. And in Los Angeles, it's craziness. And David said, I can't afford this. And they said, we're not asking you to buy it. We're going to give it to you. And so they gave David McGovern six weeks ago a building valued at $10 million, free and clear. There you go. <laughs> you have a place in that because you helped start that church in Glendale. So we're going to do something. In a, see, I don't want to just do it in our own backyard. I don't want all of it. We've got plenty to do here, and I'll show you where we're going to go. But we're going to do something in Nashville. We've started 
two years ago building a seminary in Bangladesh. Bangladesh is a Muslim country, and they, the answer is, is national pastors, national churches. So we partnered with several other churches, and we gave $75,000, and we raised with others $750,000 to get this thing up and going. And now they need money to finish it because uh, that's where the, it gets expensive finishing a building. I want to continue to help Brother Corbin to finish this Bible school in Bangladesh and get that thing up and running. Brother Mike has a dear friend in Brazil who called the church, I think it was five weeks ago, and he said, I don't know what to do. I need a piece of property. Is there any way you could help? And before we knew it, we just said, yeah, absolutely. We'll do our best to try. So a portion of the offering that you give this year will help to buy a new piece of property in Brazil for this missionary. Look around you right now. This place is full. The chairs are out. There's something known as the law of the lid. Once you, We've been here three times before, but I was a little bit apprehensive because of the crash and the other things I, I didn't, I'll I, I confess to you, I, it was such a great day when we paid all this off. And we've got 12 acres of land and, and the building and the land is, is, is worth millions of dollars and we don't owe a dime to nobody for nothing. And we're grateful, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for that. But look around, these kids are coming in here in just a moment. There's not gonna be room for them. If we brought all the church in, we don't have room to see them now. We could look around and say, hey, business is good, shut down. Or we can do what the Bible says. It says, occupy until I come. In the original language, this is what it says, do business until I show up. And so in Easter of this year, between now and Easter, we've been working on this for months, but it really starts ramping up now. Because on Easter Sunday, we're going to have two services here and we're going to split the church in half and we're going to have a church service in the morning and we're going to have a church service later in the day. It may be 8 and 11. It may be 8.30 and 11. We don't know. We'll figure that out. We'll give you, but here's the secret to the thing. We can't have two church services. We got to have one service two times. That's what we got to do because the churches that have failed going to two services. It's because one of them is always the stepchild and people are always hearing about what went on in the early service or what went on in the later service and everybody wants to be where the where it's hopping. We can't afford that. We'll, we, 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 we've got a lot of help now. We've got a lot of friends that have already tried this, made a lot of the mistakes. And so, but in Easter, we are planning to have two services because we got to make room we got to make room. we got to make room for people that we don't have names for, for people that we don't have faces for, 
We've got a nice little thing going on here. And it's, uh, trust me, as a pastor, this is the dumbest thing to ever do right now. I ought to just, I'm 62. I ought to just feather my retirement nest and just preach pretty little sermons and just entertain you Sunday after Sunday. But I can't do that, you see. I told you a long time ago that if I ever got in this pulpit and didn't feel a burden for this city, I would resign. I have never felt that yet, but I promise you if that day comes, I am out out of here. I refuse to saddle this church with a preacher that doesn't have a burden to grow and a burden to increase, not just financially and physically, but spiritually as well. That's what we want to do. We're going to take, this carpet is 25 years old. It's been taken care of by my mom and dad and now by the sister uh, Anna Marie and others that help her. And I'm so, so grateful for the people that clean this church week after week. You ought, to, you ought to be so grateful that your bathrooms don't smell like a Greyhound bus station. You ought to be so grateful that that, that staph infection has never broken out in our nurseries. That everything is cleaned and washed and done so well. Every time you see Carissa Olson, you ought to kiss that woman. You can't believe Sunday after Sunday after Sunday back there laboring so that you can have an undistracted service. Thank Carissa Olson for what she does and her team. We're going to take the pews out. If you know a church that needs pews, find them because we're going to give these pews away and we're going to go to chairs. We can get more people in this room with chairs. It's a better use of space and so that's what we're going to do. There's not much left now. There's carpet here, carpet in a few of those rooms. We're going to do all the carpet new and we're going to put chairs in all of it. And in the spring, we're getting ready for the next two years because in the spring of 2022, we're going to start a capital campaign to build a new church in the grass. And we're going to build us a new temple for the Lord. This building here will be used for our young people to have their services in. It'll be a cafetorium. Our Sunday school classes and others can use this. Our young people will be able to use this and we'll take all of this out and we'll turn our fellowship hall into a true commercial kitchen because this floor is flat. We never, we can't have dinners together anymore because we can't get everybody together. We're too big now to do that. We're going to have a real kitchen. We're going to have tables and chairs and a place where we can finally have dinner together again. Our young people will have this. Our teachers will be able to use this. We're going to build another church in the grass and connect it with an atrium. That will start in the spring of 2022 and go for three years. We're going to separate three years of our lives to discipline ourselves and give a sacrifice to build a new temple. And we're going to do something in this city that when people drive by, I want them to see what in the world is going on there. Because this is a church that refuses to sit on its hands and just say, thank God for what he's done. I believe God wants to use us to be an example and to be a pilot program, not just to this area, but across this fellowship to see something amazing. I want you to dream with me and I want you to focus on one word, imagine. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want you to pray for Brother Brent Campbell. Brent, Brent Campbell has agreed to run our capital campaign. It is one of the most stress-filled, time-consuming things that I could ever think of, but he's agreed to do it. His education is in this field. He'll do a great job. Pray for him. Stand by him. But get your house in order. Because when it comes for spring of 2022, we are going to build us a new temple if the Lord don't show up. If you're a parent and you have a child in one of these nurseries, I'd like you to go get those children. Amen. Go get them. Let's, we're going to have communion together. Now, you've been standing. If you want to sit down, I'm fine with that. But th these folks are going to sing just for a little while till we get everybody together. And then I want these ushers to get ready to serve this congregation. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. The crushing in the pressing You are making new eyes In the soil I I came here with nothing but all.